If you got your Bibles this morning, go me to the book of First Timothy. First Timothy, we're going to be in chapter one. We're going to be in verse eighteen and nineteen this morning. First Timothy chapter one. Uh, even though the the book is entitled Timothy, it's actually written by Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy. And so Paul writes two letters to Timothy uh, while Timothy is the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Now, Paul establishes the church at Ephesus, and he's there for two to three years, and then he appoints Timothy to be the pastor of Ephesus. And so as he is writing this, he's writing it for two reasons. The first reason that he writes, First and Second Timothy, is simply this. He says in 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, he says, I'm writing this so that you will know how to behave yourself, how to conduct yourself in the household of God. And so he writes, giving Timothy instructions on how we should conduct ourselves in the house of God, how it should be structured, the household of faith. If you want to know those things, read 1 Timothy, okay? That's what I would say, read 1 Timothy. Now, the second reason he writes this is to encourage, to exhort, and to warn Timothy. Now, Timothy was no different than we are. There was times that he lacked motivation, that's the reason why Paul would tell Timothy, stir up the gift that is within you. Timothy also battled fear and insecurity. Paul would tell Timothy, Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. There was times when Timothy was simply discouraged. And so Paul would tell Timothy, Timothy, my son, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so last week in Acts chapter 27, we looked at an incident when the Apostle Paul was facing shipwreck. Now that was a physical shipwreck. But this morning, I want to look at a more dangerous shipwreck. And that is a shipwreck of our faith. Look what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 18 and 19. He says, this command... I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. Fight the good fight of faith. He says, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Now, I don't know what shipwreck of faith really is, but I do know this, it's not good. Okay? It's not good. And if it was possible for Timothy's faith to be shipwrecked, there's not a single person in here that it's not possible for you to have your faith shipwrecked. Not a single person in here is above that. But because just because you served the Lord in the past doesn't mean that you're going to be faithful in the future. Just because you've served God in the past does not guarantee faithfulness in the future. And so Paul commands Timothy first and foremost here in verse 18. He says, Timothy, 
You've got to fight the good fight. You've got to fight fervently. We know that the gift of faith is free, but the life of faith is a fight. And you're going to have to fight every single day of your life. See, the Christian life is not a day at the beach. It's a day on the battlefield. It's not a time on the playground, but a time on the battleground. And it's my fear this. Now listen, I don't really like preaching these messages. I'd rather preach something that you're a winner. And it's going to be all right this week. You're going to get a million dollars and all that kind of stuff. I'd like to, I'd rather preach that. But I'm worried, I'm concerned that some of us have been lulled into a spiritual sleep. We've been lulled into a spiritual sleep and we don't realize the danger that we are in. We don't realize the danger we're in. And so Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, you've got to fight the good fight of faith. And in the Greek here, which Paul writes, or the New Testament is written in the original Greek, it is in the present tense. That means that the fight of faith is not a one-time thing. It's going to be something that you're going to have to face Every day of your life until Jesus Christ calls you home. You understand that? Now there may be some days when the battle is not as intense as other days. But don't let that lull you into a spiritual sleep. Because just because it's not tough today doesn't mean it's not going to be tough tomorrow. You've got to always be on guard. You've got to always be alert. Do you realize that even though David in 1 Samuel chapter 17, even though he took those five smooth stones and he went out and he charged Goliath, and even though he killed Goliath and cut off Goliath's head, you know what? There came a time the Philistines kept coming back. It wasn't over just because he killed Goliath. There's a very interesting scripture in 1 Kings chapter 20 when the king of Aram or Syria attacks Israel. And in spite of Aram's overwhelming forces against God's people, God gives Israel the victory. And then the prophet has a very interesting statement that he makes to King Ahab. The prophet tells King Ahab, get ready for another attack begin making plans now for the king of Aram will come back next spring and I'm here to tell you you may have experienced the greatest victory you've ever had in your life this past week 
But that great victory is no time to lay your weapons down and think it's done, it's over with, it's finished. I'm here to tell you, as long as you're on this earth, you better wake up and get ready for another attack. Now listen, if I was a traveling evangelist, and I wasn't going to see you again for a few years, I may try to tell you it's over with. Because that's what everybody wants to hear. We done, it's over. But I got to look you in your eyes next week when you realize it ain't over. They still battles to fight. There's still things we got to overcome. And Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, you have got to fight the good fight of faith. And let me say this. There will always be two types of battles we'll face. And I want to kind of condense them down to two things. And the first one I would say this is there will always be spiritual battles. Always. Until you get called home, there will always be spiritual battles. And what I want to get, look at those spiritual battles in three areas. There will always be spiritual battles above us. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against spiritual wickedness in high places, we will always have spiritual battles above us in the spiritual realm. We will always be facing those forces. But not only will we always be facing battles above us, we will always be facing spiritual battles around us. Around us. And particularly the world. John would say it like this in 1 John. He would say, love not the world, nor the things that are in the world, for all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride that says, I want what's I want what God doesn't have, what, what, what God doesn't want me to have. That's what the lust of the flesh is. It is desire to do something contrary to the will of God. I want this. I'm going to go get it. That's lust of the flesh. Then you've got the lust of the eyes, which deals with our desire to have something that is contrary to the will of God. In other words, my eyes see something. It's not God's will for me to have that, but yet I say I'm going to intentionally violate God's will. I'm going to go get that. That's lust of the eyes. The pride of life is to be something contrary to the will of God. In other words, it's my prestige. It's my status that I'm after. I'm trying to be something that God doesn't want me to be. And listen, you will always be in this world, this system that is contrary to God, its political system, its culture system. We will always be in this world. And so we will always face battles around us. Now listen, it'd be, listen, if we could stay in church all our lives, we probably wouldn't have trouble living right. But when we leave here, a little bit after 12, you're going to go into a culture that is anti-Christ, the values are not of Christ, and you're just simply going to have to battle that. It's battling for your children, it's a battle for your grandchildren, and you got to listen. It is a fight that's going to continue. I'm not going to tell you it's over today. 
because it's not unless you get called home. And so he wants us to realize, listen, you're going to always have battles above you, spiritual battles. You're going to always have battles around you, the world, but you're always going to have battles also within you. Within you. Even though you're saved, guess what? There's still some residue of that old man living inside of you. It's still living there inside of you. Apostle Paul would say in Romans 7, 18, he says this. He says, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is my flesh. Now, he's not talking about his physical body, but he's talking about the flesh, the fallen nature that is opposed to God's will. He says, everywhere I go, guess what? There's a battle that's going on with inside of me. It's a battle whether I'm going to do what's right or whether I'm going to do what's convenient. When you woke up this morning, no doubt, there was a battle. A battle whether or not you was going to go to church or not. Most of you, yeah. It was a battle. Because you can think of a thousand things that you should probably be doing. You think you should be doing, but you shouldn't. When you realize I should be praying, it's a battle you start facing there. I mean, listen, nobody, nobody's flesh wants to pray. If you don't believe that, call a prayer meeting so how many people shows up. Okay? I'm just saying it's not an easy thing to do because it's a spiritual battle that's going on within us. To read your Bible, that's a spiritual battle going on inside of you. You can think of a thousand different things you can read. You know, people say, well, I don't like reading. Yeah, well, you sure do stay on Facebook a lot reading. Right? Or whatever social media, what's it called? Uh, Snapchat, whatever that is. You stay on that reading all those, but yet you don't like reading when it comes to God's Word. That's a spiritual battle within you. And there will always be battles in our life. And so Paul tells Timothy, you have got to continuously fight the good fight of faith. And ask yourself this question, how are you fighting today? Are you really in the fight? Or have you been lulled to sleep by this world system and you don't even realize the destruction that you are headed toward because you refuse to engage in the battle. Is it easy? No. Jesus said this road is a hard road. He said it's a narrow way. Listen, if it was easy living for Christ, it would be a broad way. And everybody would be going that way. But it's not easy. But guess what? The payoff is tremendous for the fight. And so he tells Timothy, he says, Timothy, you've got to fight the good fight of faith because there will always be spiritual battles. There will also always be situational battles. I won't stay here long. But that you will always battle trials. You will always battle temptations. You will always battle tribulations in your life. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation." But you can take courage because he has overcome the world. And so he tells Timothy, Timothy, you've got to fight 
fervently. And I'm here to tell somebody here today that has kind of got, you got weak hands, you got weak knees, you feel like thrown in a towel. No, you've got to fight fervently in this life we're living in. You can't just do it halfway. You can't do it halfway. Then he says this, not only must you fight fervently, he tells him you got to clean continually. Look at verse 19. I didn't say clean continually, so don't get nervous. I said clean. Or it wouldn't help some of us to keep cleaning ourselves spiritually continually. He says, verse 19, keeping faith and a good conscience. So, Timothy, you've got to fight fervently and you've got to keep the faith clean continuously to the faith. What is the faith there? He's not talking about your personal faith. He's talking about the faith. Reveal truth. Now, let's go to Acts chapter 20 for a second, okay? And kind of give you a little background here. In Acts chapter 20, we see where Paul is on one of his missionary journeys. And on this journey, he's, he calls for the elders of Ephesus to come meet him, okay? Elders there are simply the church leaders, and he wants to meet with them in Acts chapter 20. And this is what Paul is worried about because he realizes that even though he wants to go to Ephesus, maybe the Spirit of God will prevent him from going there. And so he calls a meeting with these guys from Ephesus, these church leaders, he says this. Start at verse 29. He says, I know after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock okay Paul says listen I established this church but I know I know that once I leave there's going to be some savage wolves they're going to come into the church not sparing the flock and from among your own selves men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. So what's his concern? His concern is that the church will abandon the faith, the doctrines that have been handed down to them by the Holy Spirit of God. If you go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 through 4, this is how he starts it out with Timothy. He says, look in verse 3 through 4, he says, As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, this is what he's talking about happened in Acts 20, he says, Remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, not to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than the furthering the administration of God which is by faith. He says, listen, you're going to hear a lot of stuff. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. Anything that I preach up here you don't just gobble it up like it's a steak dinner. You be a Berean, you search the scriptures to see whether what is being taught is actually in the Bible. I don't care who comes in here. You don't just gobble it up because somebody is standing behind a pulpit saying it. 
I was watching a church service this past week, and a man said this. He said, Jesus was not from the tribe of Judah. He was from the tribe of Joseph. And I said, what did I just hear? Now, y'all know what gaslighting is, right? It's when they tell you something makes you think you're crazy. And when I heard that, and I heard the people saying, amen, amen, I had to check myself and say, am I crazy? Have I been taught a lie all my life? Now, you may say, well, what difference does it make? Oh, it makes a big difference. Because if you'll gobble that up, when the Bible clearly says that Jesus is the line of the tribe of Judah, you'll gobble up anything. And so we need to realize this, that listen, in these days we're living in, there is an attack on the faith. Paul says to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, but the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart or fall away from the faith. They will pay attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. And so Paul says, listen, in the last days, people are going to depart from the faith. And we see that today. I'm talking about scriptures. I'm talking about black and white, plain as day scriptures. We've got people saying, I don't care about that. That's culture. I read this past week where the Episcopal Church has just passed an ordinance where they are approving self-mutilation for young kids so that they can be the gender they think they should be. That's the Episcopal Church, and they've been off the rails for a while. Okay? They've been off the rails for a while. But you've got people that are teaching things that are contrary to the word of God and you got people out there that's just accepting it without looking at the scripture and saying well is what they're saying is it really the truth and what people have done is this they have taken God and they've tried to remake him into a God that they want to serve they'll say this well God loves you you know the Bible says that God is angry with sinners every day We've heard this. We're all God's children. We're not all God's children. That's image, but that's different from being a child of God. You understand that? If you're not saved, you know what you are? You are an enemy of God. You're not a child of God. But what we tell people is this. God loves you just the way you are. You don't have to change. And that is a lie to make people feel good. And that's what we see. Look at Romans chapter 1. I think we start with verse 20. This is what the Apostle Paul writes about how human devolved over time. He says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood, though, what has been made, so that they are without excuse. In other words, this just all heavens, all the earth declare God. It declares God, his handiwork. He says, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they become futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, 
They became fools. You would think this was written yesterday. And exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. He says, verse 25, for they exchanged the truth of God, of, of God for a lie. That's what we see nowadays. And they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for which is unnatural. He says, in the same way, men also abandon the natural function of the women and burn with desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see it fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips, Slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Then he says, and although they, do, they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to them who practice them. I don't want to get on a tangent here, okay? But we've seen this in our culture. We're seeing stuff that the church would speak, speak out against now. We don't speak out anymore. We don't call sin, sin. I remember when I was growing up, the LGBTQ community, what they would say is this. Listen, what we do in our bedroom is our business. We just want to be left alone. Does anybody else remember that? We just want to be left alone. But then it went from, no, we won't be left alone. We want to do what we're going to do, and you're going to have to affirm what we're doing in Greece. It says it's okay to do. That's where it's gotten us now. And you may think it's crazy, and I'm going to say it, I said this morning, I'll say it again. The next train down the cart is this. It is going to be what they call now is uh, MAPs, Minor Attracted People. Okay, pedophilia, we know it's pedophilia, right? But if you, if you see the world today, this is coming next. It's coming next. Their professors are already speaking out now, and that's why they, they changed it from pedophilia to minor attracted people because they, they, they don't want to get that bad name. Okay? That's coming next. And you may laugh and say, there's no way we would get to that point. I was listening to a sermon a couple weeks ago with a man that was, he preached a sermon in 1992 and he told his church during that sermon, he said, in the next few years we're going to see in our culture where men will claim to be women, women will claim to be men, and the world will accept that. And people laughed in the congregation. They thought, that's no way we'll do that. We're living it right now. Amen. We're living it right now. And that's the reason why Paul tells Timothy, listen, you have got to cling to the faith. The faith was not made up by man. 
It was delivered to us by God the Holy Spirit. And so if he entrusted it to us, guess what? I don't have a right to change it. I don't have a right to change it. And another thing is this. We are so worried about making us, giving people our opinions. God didn't send me here to give an opinion. He sent me here to say what his word says. As an ambassador of Jesus Christ, I represent him. I can't change what he says. If you got a problem with what I'm saying, if it's what he says, all I can say is you take it up with my king and my savior. Now listen, I understand you can speak the truth in love. And I'm not saying that there's some people they've done more damage than good. I understand that. But I am saying this. You can't back down from the faith. It is the word of God. You may not like it, but it is what it is. You may not agree with it all, but it is what it is. It's not a buffet that you can just pick and choose what you want. You've got to accept it. You've got to rightly divide it. And so Paul tells Timothy, listen, you have got to earnestly contend for the faith. You've got to fight for the faith. Cling to the faith because it is going to be under attack. And the second thing he says is this. Not only must you cling to the faith... He says also you got to cling to a good conscience. A good conscience, okay? What is the conscience? Well, the conscience is your ability, your inward ability to sense what is right and what is wrong. Even unbelievers have a conscience. Paul says in Romans 2.14, I don't have this up there, but a man's conscience will either condemn him or will commend him. Your conscience will either condemn you or it will commend you. And a good conscience is like a rudder that steers us through the rocks and reefs of sin and error. Paul made it a point in his life to always keep a clear conscience before God and before men. And when you got a clear conscience before God and before men, it gives you boldness, it gives you courage because you're not worried about if someone knows something on you. But do you realize this? Even though God gives you a conscience, your conscience can be defiled. You can do something for so long that if your conscience was like a bell going off, every time you do it, it gets more faint, it gets more faint, it gets more faint, till now, things that used to bother you no longer do. Why? It's because your conscience has been defiled. And Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, you got to keep a clear conscience. you got to keep a sensitive conscience so that when, listen, when I do something wrong, I want the Holy Spirit to wake me, to shake me immediately and tell me, you're wrong. Now, a lot of us don't want to hear that. We want to be told we're good, we're doing everything right. But I'm here to tell you, listen, some of us today need to listen to the voice of God because we have let our conscience get defiled and now we're doing things, going places. We never would have used to do that and we think it's okay because it doesn't bother us anymore. But let me tell you something. Once you get in an... You know, once you get saturated with stuff like that, you don't even realize you're even wet. You don't, you don't even realize you're even wet. And so Paul says, Timothy, you've got to fight the good fight. You've got to fight fervently. You've also got to uh, 
keep clean to faith. You've also got to cling to a good conscience. And then he says, let me say it, go to this point. How do we keep ourselves from shipwreck? How do we keep our faith from being shipwrecked? Because we've seen Paul last week in Acts 27 how he experienced a shipwreck that was a physical shipwreck, but something far more dangerous than a physical shipwreck is a spiritual shipwreck, a faith shipwreck. There's two things that I want to challenge you to do. The first one is this, is you've got to guard your faith. You've got to guard it. You've got to guard it. See, most of us have no problem guarding our material things. We got jewelry we love and we'll guard it. We got money we put in the bank because we don't want nobody to get it. We got a valuable thing that was handed down to us from our mother or our grandmother. And we say, you can't touch that. We're going to safe keep that. But you know that something that's far more precious than material things you've been given? You've been given a precious faith. The same faith that Paul had, the same faith that Peter has, it's been passed down to us. And you've got to guard your faith. It's the most precious, valuable thing that you've got in your life is the faith that's been entrusted to you. Paul would say this, excuse me, Peter would say this about our faith in 1 Peter 1 and 7. He says that your faith is more precious than mere gold. Your faith. What God has entrusted you, the deposit God has placed inside of you, it is more precious than pure gold. And some of us are treating it like it's flippant, like it costs nothing. The faith inside of me, I wasn't purchased with silver, gold, corruptible things, but I was purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He died for me. He gave his life for me. He entrusted me with the faith. And the, the, the least thing I can do is to make sure I appreciate my faith. I guard it at all costs. I don't just go any places. I don't just watch anything. I don't just listen to anything. You got to guard your faith. Hebrews 2 and 3 says it like this. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Some of us are simply neglecting the greatest gift that has ever been given to us. And we're worried about the tornadoes. It's not the tornadoes you need to concern yourself with. It's the termites. It's the termites. It's the things that are slowly but surely eating away at your foundation. And you don't even realize it because it, you, can't, you don't really see it right now. But it's eaten away. And you, think, you may think you're safe. And listen, I'm securing my salvation. But that don't mean I'm going to go out and, and treat it like I'm invincible, like, that, like nothing bad can ever happen to me. I believe I'm going to live 20 more years at least. But I'm not going skydiving tomorrow. Right? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not doing something foolish. Now, if you Scott, that's fine. That's between you and God. Keep it between yourself and God. But I'm just saying, just because I'm secure in my faith doesn't mean that I can be careless with my faith. And a lot of us have gotten to the point where we're not protecting it 
like it's a valuable treasure God has given us. See, Solomon said like this, it's the little box foxes that spoil the vines. It's those little things we don't think about. We let go, not realizing that's what's going to end up costing us. See, when you read the story of Abraham and Lot, the book of Genesis, Abraham and Lot, families got so big, they said we can't even get along with each other. See, you're not the only family that's just in turmoil. Everybody's family's got some little struggles. Abraham says, Lot, you pick which way you want to go. You go your way, I'll go my way. The Bible says that Lot looked out over the well-water plains of Jordan, and he says, I think I'll go that way. That looks like the best way to go. The Bible says that Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. He, didn't, he wasn't living in Sodom at that time. He just said, you know what? I'll just go over here and kind of go in that direction. And when you read that story of Sodom and Gomorrah, we find not only is Lot not just going towards Sodom, but he is sitting at the city gates of Sodom. And even though God sends an angel and tells him and his family, God's about to destroy this place, you better get out of here. And Lot tells his son-in-laws, they just laugh at him and say, yeah, whatever. We're safe. We've never seen this happen before. Because of that one decision he made, it cost him his family, cost him his wife's life. I'm here to tell you, Proverbs 12, Proverbs, I think it's around 16 and 12, says it like this. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end, it only leads you to death. Just because something seems good, just because something seems favorable, that ain't mean God is opening that door for you. You've got to realize this, and I don't even know why I'm on this, but listen. You can make all the money in the world, but if you die and go to hell, what have you lost? What have you gained? What have you gained? You can have all the pleasures in the world, but if you die and go to hell, it's just temporary. And so you got to guard your faith. You got to guard it. Realize it's a, it's a precious treasure. Then not only must you guard your faith, the second thing is this I would say is you got to grow your faith. You got to grow it. You got to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Your faith is like a muscle, okay? It's like a muscle. And if you don't work those, those muscles out, those muscles become weak, and they get to the point where they're not even usable. If you get in a recliner and you sit there 10 hours a day and don't do anything, it won't be long that you can't do anything. Okay? And the thing is this, yes, we've been given faith. But guess what? Just because we've been given faith doesn't mean that it's going to automatically grow on its own. No, 1 Peter, or maybe 2 Peter chapter 1, 
Look what Peter says in verse 5. He says, now for this very reason, also, first of all he says this, applying all diligence. In other words, he says, listen, Peter's telling us, listen, it takes some effort. I I know we're saved by grace through faith and it's it's not of works, lest anybody should boast, but our faith should cause us to work. Okay? He says, in your faith, supply, and some translations may say it like this, add to your faith, supplement your faith. He says you supplement moral excellence. In other words, what is moral excellence? Excellence is simply this. It is going above and beyond what God has called us to do. What did Jesus say to those those people in in the Sermon on the Mount? He said if a Roman soldier asks you to go one mile, what do you do? You go two. He said if someone asks you for your coat, what do you do? You give me your coat also. In other words, Peter is saying, listen, In this faith we're living in, he says, you need to do due diligence. You need to give your best effort in what you're doing. The reason why faith's not working for some of you, you're putting nothing in it. If you join a gym, and some of you are going to join it this January, I promise you, it happens every year. You're going to join the gym in January because it's free for six months. And then you're going to go for three weeks. And you're going to get tired of that drive. And you're going to quit. And you're going to wonder, why didn't I lose any weight? Because you quit going to the gym. Then you're going to get that bank draft in, in June. You're going to go, well, I, I forgot I even had this. I had to call them and cancel it, right? That's what we do. You can't put little into it and expect to have a great thing out of it. He says, so you've got to add Moral excellence, and then your moral excellence is knowledge. In other words, listen, knowledge comes from actually opening the Bible and studying the Bible. The Holy Spirit is not going to bring anything to your attention if you're not opening God's Word. It's not a welfare system, okay? You've got to put the effort in, and when you put the effort in... He will increase your knowledge of God's word. Then he says this, and your knowledge, self-control. In other words, you're going to have to practice self-control. Do things you don't want to do. He says this. He says self-control, perseverance. You got to persevere. You got to keep going, keep going. Even though you feel like quitting, guess what you got to do? You got to keep going. If I allow my emotions to rule me, which a lot of people do, I would be a literal basket case. Literal basket case. Because I don't always feel saved. Most of the time when I leave here on Sunday mornings, you'll find me talking to myself. And I am critiquing everything I said, everything I did, I'm saying, why did you say this? Why didn't you do this? You know, what? did you see the look they gave you when you said that? That's what I do. And you may say, so don't, if you see me going down the road at church and I'm talking, I'm just a little crazy. I'm not full-blown crazy yet, but that's what I'm doing. I'm having a, and, and you teachers or anybody, you probably do the same thing. You do the same thing. But guess what? I don't let those feelings rule me because I know by Monday morning, I'm like, I need to get in the Word and get ready again. 
Because it's persevering. It's just keeping on, keeping on when I don't feel like doing what I'm supposed to do. And that's what he says. He says your perseverance godliness. In other words, you're living a godly life. You're, you're doing what the scripture says. He says, go on next verse. I'm going to hurry. And your godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, look what he says. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. For he who lacks these qualities... What we just talked about, perseverance, virtue, all those things. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Now look what he says here, verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain, make certain, about his calling and his choosing you. Now listen, for as long as you practice, and you basketball guys, Alan Iverson would say, we're talking about practice? Who wants to practice this stuff? I just want to get in the game. For as long as you practice these things, you will never, 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 never stumble. If you will put into practice these things, you won't be a casualty on the battlefield. We won't have to come looking for you in two years because you threw up your hand and said, I fall. You will never stumble. Let me read one more scripture. Come in and play it. Put the, the, the first chapter four. I mean, chapter four. Yeah, verse six, I think it is, where the apostle Paul tells Timothy this. First Timothy 4.16. Here we go. 4.16. And this is what I want to leave you with this morning. Paul tells Timothy this. Now, if Timothy, I mean, this guy's got a book in the Bible named after him. I don't even have that. He tells Timothy, Timothy, pay close attention to yourself. You can fool everybody. But you're not going to fool yourself most of the time. You know who you are. You know what you believe. You know what you live. He says, Timothy, you've got to pay close attention to yourself. When I use the illustration, I always get in trouble because I don't say well, it's the right thing, but whatever those mirrors are in the hotels, it's magnifying in the bathroom. You ever seen them? Shows you all your blackheads and everything. What's it called? Makeup mirror. That's what she, she says you never get that right. Makeup mirror. Now, I'm not a fan of makeup mirrors because it'll show you every crook and nanny or whatever that is, every bad thing on your skin. But guess what? You make it look at yourself from a mile away and say, I look pretty good. But you're fooling yourself. But when you look in that mirror... Yeah, that's what you are. So Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, you better pay close attention to yourself. Persevere in these things. It's going to be hard, Timothy. It's not going to be easy. He says, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and those that hear you. In other words, if you'll pay attention to yourself, to your spiritual growth, 
He says it will ensure your salvation. 